Some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the was Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. We know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you not want... Sorry, do you want to become his disciples too? Then he hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Thank you. Let me just move this to the side for a second. There we go. We just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it gives us answers to some of life's most difficult questions. But we just pray that as we particularly consider this one, your spirit would be amongst us, that you would be helping us to understand from your word what we need to hear about Jesus. Amen. Um, There are many people in the world today, and many uh, maybe even amongst us here, who suffer from all sorts of different kinds of disabilities, uh, maybe from Down syndrome, spina bifida, blindness, mutism, cerebral palsy, dyslexia, Um, some of names that are unpronounceable to to lips like mine, untrained lips. Um, Some are hidden, some are more obvious than others. Um, But each one has its own pains and its own path, difficulties in life that the people need to face. Um, Whether it's something that happens in a moment that changes the course of your life from from what you expected it would be to something completely different. Um, Something that that could happen that that could change a marriage and send it off in a direction you never imagined it to go. Lives forever changed. And it's not like you even asked for this. You didn't expect it. You never imagined that it would happen. But then it does. You can understand why, in the midst of all that, as we heard from Mike and Anne, that that you would cry out, why me? What have I done? I think this is probably the most difficult question that anyone could be asked. As as a Christian pastor, who's someone who, who loves to talk about Jesus, this is the most difficult question that I would ever have to face in a conversation, without a doubt. I talk about a loving God, but then people might point at a disabled baby and say, well, where's your loving God now? But the reality is, it's a difficult question for Christians. Yes, absolutely it is. But if you're a non-Christian today, if you're an atheist, or whatever faith you have, it's a difficult question for you too. Do you have a better answer? Do you think you understand this fully? And as I talk about this, I'm thinking, I've got 20 minutes to try and explain to you an answer to a question that all of us have struggled with all our lives and theologians and and, and philosophers have had to wrestle with for many, many years. So I'll just be blunt and honest with you. I cannot fully answer this question in 20 minutes. There's so much more I'd love to talk about than what I can do in the short time that I've got. And if you have questions remaining at the end of this talk, please come and see me. But my aim isn't to try and completely answer the question because you just can't do that. My aim this morning is to show that the Bible does have an answer, and the answer it gives is most clearly found in Jesus. The answer isn't an argument, the answer isn't a philosophy, the answer is a person. And this person, in the fifth verse of the chapter we just read, said this, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the Bible's best answer to suffering. And I will try to show you this morning, by his grace sustaining me, that if you are living with a disability, Jesus is the light you need to get you through your deepest 
darkest time. I want to tell you that disability is not God's judgment on you. Disability is not God's judgment. In chapter 9, the story starts this way. As he went along, he saw a man born blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the disciples have an oversimplistic view of the cause of disability. Um, You see, they assume that it has to be the cause of someone's personal sin. Either this man's parents did something so horrible that he has the right to be angry at them for the rest of his life because it's their fault, or this man is so evil that he deserves such a punishment of permanent blindness. It's terrible, isn't it? They have a karmic view on disability. They look at it and they say, what goes around comes around. It's like the universe is dishing out proportionate punishment on people, as if that's how things work. And it is rightly insulting to modern ears. It really is, isn't it? But the truth is, do we have much of a different view, really, if we think about it? I mean, if you're facing suffering today of great kind, what do you say? You say, why me? What have I done? Or we say, I deserve this. I'm a terrible person. We go from blame and anger to guilt. And that's exactly what the disciples did. Who can this man be angry at or he should feel guilty? We can all relate to the why me question, can't we? If you're living with a disability, I'm sure this is one that you've asked many times. And behind asking that question is the idea that God is unfair, unjust, evil, and malicious. So we feel rightly angry at God. If not, that may be your response is guilt. Maybe you're living with a disability and feel that somehow you deserve it. So you fear God, but not as a loving father, but as one who loves to dish out pain and suffering. Maybe you feel both at the same time. But you can see that our attitudes towards disability and suffering may be different on the outside to the disciples, but on the inside, we still feel the same way. Either we're angry or we're guilty. But both stem from an idea of God being a vindictive, bitter God. But Jesus sets the record straight in verse 3. He answers the question of the disciples plainly. and He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, Jesus is not saying that the blind parents have never sinned. He's not saying that. That would be contradicting the Bible. He's saying that their sin and his sin are not the cause, the direct cause of his blindness. Let me explain this in a little bit more detail. Jesus saying, is saying that disabilities are caused by unis, universal sin, but not specific sin. The Bible clearly teaches that the reason there is suffering and pain and sickness and death and disability in the world is not because God intended it to be that way. God made the world good and right and perfect without any of those things. The giver of life gave us a good world. And collectively, all of the human race has turned its back on the life-giving good God. And as a result, the world falls under his curse. And that brought about death, sadness, suffering, and yes, disability. The world is not how it's supposed to be. We all face suffering in this life. And let's be honest, some of us face more suffering than others. There isn't a rhyme or reason to it. This man's blindness was caused by collective, universal, curse-bringing sin. 
But that does not mean that it's caused by any specific sin. That's really important. Jesus is saying that specific suffering is not a result of any one's specific sin. The disciples assume that blindness must be God's judgment on this man for a reason. But Jesus is saying blindness, nor any disability, is God's punishment on any individual person for anything that they have done. No, that is way too simplistic an answer for a complicated question. What does it mean? Well, it means if you're living with a disability today, it is because we're living in a cursed world. It is not because God has cursed you personally. It's not that God is vindictive in his nature. That's not the way he works. At times it may feel that way, but that's not what's going on. God is not angrier with you than the person next to you. God is not, does not hate you compared to the person next to you. He isn't seeking to be cruel or spiteful to you. No, God loves you. And we can see in the eyes of Jesus the compassion that God has on those who are suffering with disability. Compassion on you. You have not caused your disability, so you can lay down your anger and see a Jesus who loves you. Lay down your guilt and see a Jesus who died for you. See, while the disciples were fixated on the cause of the disability, Jesus wants to shift their gaze onto the purpose. See, God can provide purpose in disability. God can provide purpose through disability. We're about to go on on and look in the passage where Jesus heals this disabled man. But it's important to understand that Jesus has a greater purpose behind the healing itself. It's more important even than the physical healing. Jesus heals many people in the Gospels. But he doesn't heal everyone who he meets. There are people that Jesus walks by. But every time Jesus does heal, it's to point to a greater healing, a more purposeful healing that all the human race needs. And it's important to say that because the Christian hope for a family with struggling with disabilities or living, living with disabilities is not that you would have physical healing now, although there'll be many people that would claim that. In the end, suffering is here and now, but the Bible teaches that suffering and pain, including disability and death, will one day be brought to an end. But in this life now, Jesus warns us over and over again that the Christian life will in fact often lead to more suffering and more pain. But suffering that is filled with hope, with purpose and meaning. Jesus tells us that this man's blindness was, was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Is this, the ultimate, this is the ultimate purpose of the story. And if we're to understand it right, we need to see it in light of the whole story. The healing of the blind man goes on into my next point to show us that seeing Jesus is our deepest healing. It's a great story, isn't it? I mean, it's filled with powerful emotion and uh, it's even funny at times as you go through and read it. I wish I had an hour to go for every detail with you, but the truth is I don't. You'll be glad to know. Oh, we've only got a few minutes. But there is one thing that you may have missed in the drama of the reading that, that is really, really important. I just want to point a couple of really simple things out. 
The first thing is that the that healing itself happens really quickly in the story. It's just in verses 6 and verse 7. Jesus makes some mud with saliva and he puts it on the man's eyes. I won't go into all that. He sends him, sends him to a pool called Siloam. It's called Sen, and I won't go into all that. And he washes his face and he comes back seeing. It's a very simple little story. Um, but there's something, although he can see clearly in the world, there's something he doesn't quite see yet. Look at verse 11. When he's being questioned by his friends, he says... The man they called Jesus healed me. You see, he knows he's been healed, but he describes Jesus as just a man. But as the story goes on and he faces more and more inquisition, in verse 17, he faces hostile inquisition before the Pharisees, but now he says something different. He takes it on a little bit further. The man replied about Jesus, he is a prophet. Then later, the Pharisees have threatened that he would be expelled from the synagogue unless he de- denies Jesus. And he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he goes from seeing Jesus as a man, to Jesus as a prophet, to Jesus is from God. And then we come to the climax of the story, and I'll read these verses out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, and, he found, um, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now the man's eyes have been fully opened to see the reality of who Jesus is. Now it's worth pointing out that this wasn't the end of the man's suffering. We kind of imagine that his life goes on from this point to kind of a life of health, wealth, and prosperity. And he becomes a successful businessman in Jerusalem and makes lots of money and, and he's, he never has any of the problems for the rest of his life. But that's not the case. He, he, he was in first century Israel, a very difficult place to live, uh, where life and death was a matter of, for everybody, every day. Um, but it, but it, as well as that, he'd been cast out of the synagogue, which is being expelled from the community and there would have been consequences to that beyond just not going to church on a Sunday that was being expelled from the community it may be much more difficult for him to get a job now much more difficult to find somewhere to work for a man that's grown up without a trade that would be really difficult anyway but the reality is this declaration of Jesus has made his life yet more difficult because finally he sees that Jesus is worth more than anything else that Jesus is worth more than anything else, even if it means that he continues his days begging on the road. Johnny Erickson Tarder um, was a f- Christian lady who has been a quadriplegic for about 50 years since she had a terrible diving accident when she was in the prime of her life. And she says this about her deepest healing. I began to see that God's plan for a joyful, my joyful, hopeful future was not necessarily jumping up and dancing, kicking around, doing aerobics, walking, getting back the use of my arms and legs. No, God's plan for me goes far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and even to this day, every morning I wake up and say, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up. Give me your smile. Give me your strength. Because I can't get through the day. Because I go to God with that earnest dependency and the requirement of his grace, I experience the sweetest, most precious, intimate union with Jesus Christ. The deepest healing we all need to see is Jesus and who he really is. And we need to worship him like the beggar and like Johnny. Back in verse 5, 
Jesus says he was a light for the dark world. And it's in Jesus you can find light in the darkness no matter what you're facing. Jesus is a rock for all those who will come to him. And this is why Jesus came. He goes on and he says, I have come into this world so that the blind will see. The ex-blind beggar now sees God for who he is. That he's not against him, but in Jesus, God is for him. And that can be the same for you today. Maybe you've gone through life and you thought, God isn't for me. God can't be for me, the things that I've been through. But the reality is, we've got to see the road that Jesus is on. Because Jesus is headed on a road that leads to a cross. A Roman cross. And as Jesus was hanging there on the cross at the end of the Gospel of John, it's possible that the people who would be looking at Jesus might walk past him and say, what sin has this man committed that such a horrible thing would happen to him? And the answer that would come back is, Jesus has done none. Jesus isn't hanging on that cursed cross because he's sinned. He's hanging on that cross to display the works of God through saving sinners through saving people who've turned their back on the life-giving God. That's why he's hanging there. Now, I can't answer every question to do with suffering. I can't say why God allows some things and not others. I can't do that. But what I can tell you because of the cross is I know what it can't be. The answer can't be that God doesn't love us. The answer can't be that God isn't for us. Because he sent his son to die for us. Jesus could have called a legion of angels to pull him down from the cross. Jesus could have gone another route, but he didn't. He stayed there so that you and I could be restored in our relationship with God and we could experience the intimacy of God's presence in the way that Johnny Erickson explained. Even with big questions, hard questions, even in this life unanswerable questions, Jesus is worth seeing, finding, and trusting with your disability. He is for you. He loves you. And the cross proves it. But there's one other thing I think is really important for us to see in John 9, and it's the warning at the end. And it's this, refusal to see Jesus is our deepest disability. Let me just read these verses to you. Jesus said, For judgment I have come to this world. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees were with him and heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt still remains. You see, there's a great contrast in this story between the blind man and the Pharisees. On the one side, you see this blind man who's faced with the reality of his healing And he goes on from from not understanding who Jesus is to really coming to understand who Jesus is. um, Because he has a genuine desire to know the truth, to find Jesus. But on the other side, you see the Pharisees. Men whom, if you would have asked, they would have said, yes, we're all about truth. That's what this inquisition is all about. We want to know exactly what happened. We're seeking the truth. We want to know what really happened. But as you can see clearly in the story, as it unfolds, they're not interested in the truth. All they're interested in is entrenching themselves in their own worldview, in their own self-importance, and they refused to see who Jesus clearly was because of their own self-righteousness. So you have 
a man who's clearly, genuinely asking questions to find Jesus, and then you have people who are asking questions simply to reject Jesus. Jesus' warning is that a deep refusal to see who Jesus is is the real devastating disability of the human heart. The life that separates, the life of Jesus separates the true seekers from those who think they have all the answers. And there is a huge difference between someone who asks the question, why was I born with a disability, or why does God allow disabilities, who's genuinely seeking to find an answer that will give them hope and strength in this life, than someone who is asking the question to try and trick a Christian, to try and give them the stumpable question that there's no answer to. Now, if you are asking this question, where, which side are you on? You ask the question because you're looking for hope? Or are you asking the question to try and trick, catch somebody out? If you're looking for an argument or looking to, to have the ultimate stumpable question, are you like the Pharisees? That even as the man is giving the answer, you don't listen. Instead, you think of the next question to try and catch the Christian out. If that's you, then Jesus says, you're blind and you're in danger. Jesus says, If you continue in this way, if you remain with that attitude, you will fall under God's judgment. But if you are genuinely looking for hope, like the man in this story, please come to Jesus today. He is waiting for you. He won't walk past you or ignore you. You are valuable to him. If you want to find out more, then please come and ask questions. I'd love to talk to you. Talk to Anne and Mike. Talk to to David from, from Highway. Come and consider coming on our Close Encounters course where you can spend time looking more at the life of Jesus. We would love for you to become a valuable member of our church community. And you being amongst us will make us richer. Let me end by just reading one more quote from Johnny Erickson Tarda. As my husband was driving me home in a van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering was like little splashes of hell waking us up from our spiritual slumber. Then we pulled in the driveway and said, what do you think little splashes of heaven are? Are those those easy, breezy, bright times and everything is going your way where you have health? And we said, no, splashes of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashovers of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare. And I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he saw this man and that he used this man for his greater purposes and that ultimately, Lord, he drew this man to the greatest hope he could ever find in Christ. Lord, lead us to Jesus, we pray. Amen.